Our Old Testament reading today comes from Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage this morning is from James, the fifth chapter, verses 7 through 11. The word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, now we thank you for your grace, mercy, and power. We pray, O oh God, that you would open our hearts that we may draw close to you through the preaching of the word which sanctifies us because your word is truth. And Father, we pray that you would convict us and convince us of its truth, that we may leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, just a couple of facts about Advent that you may not realize, some of you may, but some of you may not realize, that Advent is actually the beginning of the church calendar, not the end. So the normal calendar, this is the end of the year, but as far as the church's liturgical life, Advent marks the beginning of the church calendar. It's the beginning of the church year uh, because the church year retraces the life of Christ starting with Advent. Secondly, Advent is not just another word for Christmas. Advent prepares us for Christmas by focusing on the fact that like the people of God back then who were awaiting the birth of Christ, his first coming, the people of God now also await the coming of Christ in his second Advent. Whoever thought that up way back in church history hit upon a stroke of genius because we join the people of God on the other side of the cross in their waiting. And so all the people of God are and have been in some form of waiting and preparation for the Lord's coming. This is why above all, Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. And when you're waiting, Above all things, you need patience. Parents need patience with their children when they act up and talk back, refuse to listen, fight with each other, push curfews. 
Wives need patience with their husbands who have selective hearing, I'm told. And husbands need patience with their wives who never want to leave the party. (laughs) We need patience dealing with nasty or mean or irritable people. When I study at the public library, I always go into the section that says no cell phone usage. And invariably, someone leaves their cell phone on, and when it rings, instead of just doing the grab it and silence it, they pick it up and they talk. And every time I'm this close from walking over and saying, don't you see the sign? But I don't because I'm patient. Patience is challenging, but it's necessary if we're gonna live a blessed life. You have to have patience. And so the first thing that I want us to see as we look at this passage in James is the reasons for patience. James, James's reasons for patience to, uh, in his letter to the believers. And for James, writing to the early Christians, patience was required as they were dealing with their enemies. His first concern, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers. It comes on the heels of what he had just said before in verses 1 through 6, where he confronts the rich. And the world we live in today is far more equitable than the ancient world of first century Jews. The rich hoarded their wealth, defrauded laborers of their wages, uh, lived in self-indulgent luxury, and robbed the poor often of life itself because their accumulation of wealth and riches came at the oppression of the poor. And so that's why there are many places in the New Testament where uh, the rich are really given the business because of that context, and of course, that situation does continue in some sense, in some places, to this day. It's not a condemnation of wealth, but of oppressive landowners who use their wealth to oppress others and seem to go unpunished in this lifetime, and this is the anxiety that the early Christians had, is that the people that were oppressing them, because most of the early Christians were poor, seemed to go unpunished. There was no judgment against them, it seemed. And so they were waiting for a time when God would make good on his promise to take vengeance on the wicked. And James warns that miseries are coming in future judgment for the wicked. He tells the rich in the previous passage to weep, howl for your miseries, he says, and poor Christians to be patient as they wait on the Lord's judgment. And so the first reason for patience is the Lord's coming. Patience is the secret weapon of the believer. Patience is necessary to live a fruitful and a faithful, blessed life. If you struggle with patience, you will struggle in your faith and you will struggle to hang on to the Lord. And this is exactly the point that James wants to make, is the importance of patience as the people of God wait for the coming of God. 
They are waiting for the coming of the Lord. What's instructive for us is that patience is an aspect actually of wisdom. In fact, in the book of James, the book of James is considered to be the New Testament's wisdom literature. If you read through the book of James, it's very short, it's only five chapters, has a lot to say about wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above versus the wisdom of this world. And patience is an aspect of virtue of wisdom. In all likelihood, there is something that you are enduring right now that requires patience. Now what is patience? Patience is perseverance. Patience is resolve or determination to continue on the right course despite difficulty. That's that's really what patience is. It's persevering despite difficulty. And James, in many places in the books, praises patience. In 112, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And when it says man, you can, it's man and woman. So blessed is the person, really, who perseveres under trial. And here in 511, in our little text of scripture, he repeats it. He says, We consider those blessed who have persevered. So the people who get everything they want exactly the time they want it, according to James, are not the ones who are blessed. The blessed ones are the ones who are patiently enduring whatever trial they may be going through because they're waiting in faith on the Lord. That's who the blessed ones are, the people who patiently wait on God. I talked to a friend recently in California who's been on a who was on a job for, he's been trying to leave a job for 10 years. He's a good man, a godly man, his wife and his kids. And we spent many, we spent many calls over the years talking and praying together through his frustration. He felt like his abilities weren't being used. He couldn't move up. He felt resented by the people above him. And for years, he not only prayed, but had applied to other jobs so he could, so he could leave the job he was on. It, I mean, it went on for years, but nothing ever really panned out. And recently it got so bad that there were some false accusations that were brought against him. And he decided after lots of prayer and waiting, um, even though he didn't have another job waiting for him, that he couldn't take it anymore. And he had to leave. And he put in his notice and he left without anything waiting for him. And people thought he was crazy. Now, at 50 years old with a wife and children, this is no time to be making rash career decisions, right? But he couldn't go on like that anymore. It was killing him. And two days later, both he and his wife got separate job offers that was better than the situation he was in, better benefits and pay and circumstances, the whole nine yards. Now, why did God let him linger like that for so long? Right? Couldn't God have showed up sooner, answered sooner, made a way of escape from that job sooner? And this is the challenge often of patience, is it seems that God, it seems, often when you're waiting that God is not concerned with what it is you're going through. Sometimes there is silence, a feeling that God is not present when you're under trial or waiting, and that's the hard part of patience. And he's in a place now where he's rejoicing 
that he's in this situation now where he's got this new job and it all at the very end when he couldn't take it anymore, it all just seemed to come together. And we can feel like that sometimes, right? And there are many Christians who feel like that waiting on the Lord's return. Now for us here in the first world, we are often praying for things like, Lord, help me at work and help me in my career or my family or my kids or my relationships or you know, help my jump shot or whatever we're praying for. Not that those are bad things, but there are people in the world who are experiencing such persecution and oppression and hunger and illness without any hope of cure that for them, the only hope is the return of Christ. And that's their prayer every day. Maranatha, come Lord. That's their prayer. And these early Christians are praying for the return of Christ, suffering under oppressive governments like the Roman Empire, suffocating poverty, incurable illness, and the only relief is their hope and expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. And so they waited and they hoped. And their hearts were preparing and hoping and waiting for the return of the Lord. And James focuses on patience here because he knows how important it is because it develops two things that is required to continue as followers of Christ, perseverance and maturity. So patience develops perseverance and it develops maturity, which are two things necessary to continue in your faith. Perseverance and maturity. And those who fall away from the faith lack those two things. People who give up on God, people who get bored with God, people who move on, whatever the case may be, they lack perseverance, they lack maturity. In fact, we even have a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints, which is that those who are effectually called by God will persevere to the very end and ultimately be saved. And we often sometimes flip it and we call it the perseverance of God because it's, it's he who is the one who causes us to persevere in our faith. But our own experience of it is we're pushing and fighting every day to continue against all sorts of oppositions to our faith. But the second thing I want us to see is the examples that James wants us to see is the examples of patience. So the reasons for patience, why we should wait, is because the return of the Lord is nigh. Now this is a, this is a, a tricky thing because over centuries, people have interpreted that word to mean it was imminent for them and their, their generation, which it certainly could have been, but people got in trouble. And, and the ch Christians have always done this, at times done some date predicting, right? It sort of leaves the church with like egg on its face when we get so worked up about the return of the Lord, believing sort of in an egocentric way that we cannot allow, imagine ourselves living at any other time than the climax of history. And we're not the first generation to make that mistake. Many generations before us have also felt that. And so they started looking at the stars and the moon and the calendar and saying, you know, the Lord is going to return in five years, four months, and three days. But we don't know when the Lord's return is. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. That's hard for some of us to kind of wrap our heads around. There's no way this world can go on for another thousand years. Well, they may have said that in the year 1000. What we do know is that God wants us to be in a place where we are patiently enduring whatever life circumstances 
sort of throw at us in hopeful expectation and readiness for the Lord's return. Because he could return any moment. But he gives us, James, he gives us some examples of patience that are helpful. In verses 5, in, in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, talks about the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. Now, the early and the late rains describe the Palestinian climate and the cycles of agriculture. After the summer harvest, there were these early rains. So at the end of summer, right before you went into fall, there were early rains. And after that, they planted next year's crop and harvest. And in spring, it would rain again so that when summer came, the harvest reached its full maturity during most of the summer. And at the end of the summer, they would reap and the cycle would repeat all over again every single year, the cycle of the early and the late rains. And like the farmer, which is why James is talking about that, we wait through different seasons in our lives of waiting and expectation. They're like cycles. And it might be helpful to think for a moment, what cycle or season am I in right now? Are you in a cycle of waiting right now? Or are you in a cycle or season of rejoicing? Maybe you just reaped the harvest of all of your waiting. Well, not everybody's in the same place, right? We say we, all of you are waiting for something during a trial. Some of you may have come out of that and now you're celebrating an answered prayer where God has delivered you and provided an answered prayer and there is joyful worship um, because of that. So you have to recognize what season you're in, and if you're in a season of reaping, don't be afraid to rejoice and celebrate. You know, sometimes we think, I don't know if you're like this, but I sort of think like when things are going good in my life, this can't last. Like I'm gonna jinx it somehow. Um, it can feel like that because there are moments where I look at the blue sky and the green trees and you know, I, I, I'm wearing clothes I enjoy, and you know, I'm sitting maybe like on the couch and I'm feeling like I've got my, my, my little house and life is good. And it feels like, wow, do I deserve this? And it can feel like what's gonna come any minute and ruin this if you have experienced trials or if you've suffered. And so, but I think that like the farmer, and this is why James gives this example for us, there are times of waiting or the season where there is Right? You're, just, you're, you're, you're managing to ration the crops from last harvest because the next harvest isn't for a while. And so you wait patiently like the farmer. The second example is the prophets. In verse 10 he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And if you have read the prophets you know that the prophets were not celebrities in their time, right? Unlike many of the like sort of like megachurch televangelists on television today with, you know, tens of thousands of followers and they're now giving their own, they're getting their own talk shows. Like the, pro the biblical prophets were just the opposite. I mean, their message was repugnant to people. People hated the prophets. 
They hated their message because they preached a message of the holiness of God and repentance and calling people back to covenant faithfulness to Yahweh, their covenant Lord. And the message was not popular because what people told the prophets is, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear the judgment might come. I want to, you tell me, you tell me things good. You tell me, you know, good stuff, flowery stuff. Tell me about how good it's going to be, right? Like the fortune cookie, right? Like imagine the fortune cookie was like an attempt to be honest, right? Um, You know, in, in three years, you'll file bankruptcy or... You know, in a year from now, your business will fail. I mean, right? I mean, just like real life stuff. But nobody, nobody, I mean, we'd, everyone would complain. We'd go up to the major deal and say, hey, what is this? What fortune cookie company are you guys using? I mean, no, right? And that's just how we're wired. We don't want to hear bad news. And the prophets are this example to James as the model of patience because they held up by faith and they persevered under hatred with the message of God. And it was, it's almost like, well, if this message is from you, why does everyone hate it, God? But they persevered and they proclaimed the word of God, even though that message for many was repugnant. And time and time again, people rejected the message of the prophets and were hostile to what they had to say. But here's the key. They bore that hostility with patience. They patiently endured the hostility of the people who did not like their message because their message was from God. And our message is from God. The message that God has given us, the doctrine and the tradition of faith that has been handed down to us is from God. And it's okay that not everybody hears it or likes it or listens to it. That has nothing to do with the viability or the validity of the message that we have, the gospel of Christ. Some will respond and some will hate it because they hated Christ. The third example is Job. Now, Job is possibly the oldest book in the Bible, possibly. It's not not for sure, but it could be the oldest book in the Bible. And it is a book conspicuously about patient endurance. It is interesting that possibly the first book ever written of all of the biblical books is a book dealing with suffering. Like that's the human condition. This is the age old dilemma for human beings is why is the world the way it is? Why is my life the way it is? Why have things not worked out like I wanted them to? One of the first books, maybe the first book of the Bible. In verse 11, James says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen what the Lord brought about, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And the suffering that Job endured is legendary. The first sermon I ever preached was from the book of Job. I don't know why I was, I think I was about 20 and um, the little Pentecostal church I was in, the pastor would often tell uh, me after Sunday service, can you preach tonight at 5 p.m.? I mean, I didn't know there was any other way. I didn't know people had like a week or two lead out time. It was like, oh, okay. I mean, it was just, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, Job. But I had been reading the book of Job and a lot of it's poetry and some of it's hard to understand, but I was going through something in my own 
personal life, I had, I've said this many times, I worked 12 years in a grocery store. When I first started, um, I was 18, I was just bagging groceries, and I thought it would be great to work the graveyard shift. I thought, brilliant, I'll have all day to do whatever I want. I mean, I prayed for it. Oh, Lord, Lord, please, let's grave home. And I mean, I was fit to be tied, and the Lord answered my prayer. And if, you, if, and if you don't know what people do in the grocery store in the middle of the night, they're breaking down those pallets of heavy boxes of green beans and cereal and detergent, and they're running them down the aisles, and they're cutting them open, and they're stocking the shelves, because it's all got to be done by the time you walk through the door at 6 a.m. And it was brutal. And I quickly realized, oh, what did I ask for? I mean, it was, it was terrible. And... I realized that I had made a huge mistake because when you get home, you don't have all this energy to go places. You're fried, you're wasted. I spent most of the day sleeping. I mean, I was, and I did that for three years. It was largely absent from Maribel and the kids' lives. I mean, I look back, I still feel bad about it. I mean, I, I woke up for a minute to eat and went back to bed, it was terrible. And I was reading the book of Job during this time because it was like, that guy. And I was, Comforted by the fact that there was someone in the Bible who is patiently enduring severe affliction and wrestling with all of the why. Because in the beginning, I said, well, I asked for this. But as time went on, it was like, oh, come on. Come on, God. Don't you hear my prayers? Because one year turned into two years, turned into three years. And Job, you know, you know the story of Job. If you don't, he lost, he lost all his wealth. His children perished. His wife vilified him, but he never deserted the Lord. And here's what he said when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He says this, listen to this. Job says, shall we receive good at the hand of God, but not evil? Behold, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like that was, he had the presence of mind to say that, right? Shall we receive nothing but good from God? Don't we have to endure our fair share of suffering, woman? It's powerful. And in the end, God restores Job's fortunes and rewarded him, which is what James means when he says, you have seen what the Lord brought about, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, the way it's translated in verse 11, it says, and you have seen, well, actually, I put the right translation there. I put the translation that is a variation of what's in your ESV. I think it says something like, you have seen the Lord's faithfulness, but essentially, the Greek words means like the end God brought about, the final result of Job's life. And James is speaking to people who are fluent in the Bible. He says, you all know the story of Job, don't you? God was faithful to Job, and in the end, God brought about such a condition that reflected his compassion and merciful, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And here's the connection. Here's the connection. Here's the, here's the tie-up of all of this. If we give up when we're going through lingering trials, because that's what makes a trial a trial, it doesn't start and end in a minute, it lingers. If we give up when we're going through lingering trials, we're likely to give up our faith when we become tired of waiting on the Lord's return. This is the point that James is making. This is, this is his movement. 
right? If you can't endure the trials you're going through, you're certainly not going to hang on to your faith as we wait for the Lord's return because we don't know when that's going to happen. And so there's this connection to patiently enduring trials and faithfully holding to your faith in God while you wait for the Lord's return because it's been a while. And the church continues to wait. And in this Advent season, we share that sense of expectation and longing that the people of God had before Christ came because they were longing and hoping for the coming of the Messiah's birth because the prophets had prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he will make all things right. He will put all things to right, right all wrongs. And we are also waiting because a lot of things have changed since the birth of Christ. But we are waiting still for the ultimate reckoning of all things in the world to make all things right. So whatever your personal trials you're patiently enduring right now, if indeed you are patiently enduring trials, it's a microcosm in some way of the church's historic suffering and patience as they wait on the second coming of Christ. In the book of Revelation, John witnesses a scene. If you've never read the book of Revelation, this may seem like a weird thing. Like, like sit down and read the book of Revelation. Just like, go home today and don't watch television like you normally would, uh, but open up the book of Revelation and just start reading. Uh, the book of Revelation actually promises a blessing on anyone who reads it. It does. It's blessed is everyone who reads the words of this book. So there's a blessing just for reading it. But there is this scene in heaven that John witnesses in the vision God gave him in the book of Revelation where angels with thunderous voices announce God's judgment. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever for they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name, Revelation 14 and 12, here is a call for the patient endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. This is the vision from the book of Revelation that the saints of God don't get swept up in worship of the beast and the beast's image by faithfully waiting in patient endurance on God. It's a call for patient endurance, and this is the call to each one of us this morning in this season of Advent is patient endurance, to patiently endure, to faithfully wait on the Lord, keeping God's commands and holding to our faith in Jesus. And so in conclusion, look, living a Christian life above all else is a test of perseverance, of patience, of endurance. It's, it's not a sprint, it's a long distance race, it's a marathon. Luke 21, 19 says, by your patient endurance, you will gain your souls. 
And so as we wait this Advent season for Christ to return and deliver us from our troubles, we join together across the centuries with those who waited for the arrival of the birth of the Messiah. And we can be assured that history is marching toward a destiny where the people of God will have preserved to the end only to find God's richest and eternal blessings. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now we pray and ask, O oh God, that you would help our hearts to take rest in our waiting. As we survey not just our lives, but the world around us, recognizing that though there are advances in technology and medicine, and those things are good, that the world is still very broken and in need of your ultimate fixing. The day when you return and fully and finally establish your kingdom in a new heavens and a new earth and make all things right, ultimately and permanently vanquish all evil. Father, help our hearts this Advent season to rest faithfully in our waiting, to hope and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, which may happen any moment or it may happen in a hundred years or a thousand years, we don't know. But let us be your faithful covenant people waiting on you in faithful expectation and hope because of your son, Jesus. Amen.